Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. I don't know about you, but the thought of Donald Trump actually being the president of the United States makes me feel like I'm crazy. And I think a lot of other people are feeling the same way. So today I'm going to play a story about mental illness, mainly my own mental illness. A long time ago in the 1990s, when I was both depressed and into demolition, which is a bad combination. It's probably the most popular story I've ever done. It's called The Test, and this is how it aired on This American Life in 1996. Act Two, The Test. I was hired to interview men and women in the state of Utah who receive Medicaid support for treatment of mental illnesses generally diagnosed as schizophrenia. Scott Carrier has had an on-again, off-again career as a radio reporter. He was hired for this interviewing job because the director of the research project heard some of his radio stories and thought he was a good interviewer, somebody who knew how to listen. They taught Scott to administer this test that measured mental health. It was 100 questions, each of which was scored on a scale of 1 to 7. It took an hour to give the test. Scott was paid $30 for each test he gave. The people he gave the test to got $5. I had little understanding of schizophrenia before I began, and I have little more understanding now. I took the job because I had no other. I took the job because I just quit my steady job, my professional job, after realizing that what I wanted more than anything was to put my boss on the floor and stand on his throat and watch him gag. Then my wife moved out, took the kids and everything. She said, I've thought about it, and I really think it's the best thing for me at this time in my life. And so I took the job interviewing schizophrenics because it was offered to me and because it was all there seemed to be. And it seemed somehow predestined, a karmic response that could not be avoided. It would only be temporary, something to get through the summer, and I was told that they needed someone willing to drive around the state through the small towns, searching out individuals who were often transient and prone to hiding. I like to drive, I like to travel, and I like the idea of pursuit. So I took the job and did the job, and my life will never be the same. The patient is 21 years old and has lived with his parents since his discharge from the army. He has no friends, no recreational activities, and no social life. He spends his time writing and reading, but these activities do not give him any pleasure. He has lost weight, has general anxiety and loss of libido, and occasional feelings of unreality. He is worried about his unpredictable behavior, for example, getting down on all fours and chewing the grass because he was thinking what it would be like to be a cow. The patient is 25 years old and believes that she is the devil and therefore responsible for all the evil in the world. She's not been out of her house for seven days and only comes down from her room for meals. A few days ago, her mother walked into her room and found her crying. She asked her mother what was the most painful punishment that one human being could inflict upon another. 
The mother tried to get the reason for this question, and her daughter mumbled something about the devil having to be punished for the benefit of humanity, something about having to die for his sins. When the mother asked her if she still thought she was the devil, she answered, Let's not get into that again. It only upsets you and you don't believe me anyway, even when the evidence is all around you, plain for you to see. Today, halfway through an interview with a man in Tooele, he says, I have a crystal in my pouch. Do you want to see it? I say, okay, and he takes it out a normal crystal the size of a large paper clip. And he says, I can look through this and it will tell me whether you're a good person or a bad person. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to look through it or not? My first thought is to say, do you want to go on with the interview? Maybe when we're done you can look through the crystal. But then I realize that he's really asking me to take his test, just like I'm asking him to take mine. I come into his house, I ask him very personal questions, and I expect him to answer honestly. And why should he? So I say, okay, go ahead. And he puts the crystal up to his eye, turns it clockwise and counterclockwise, back and forth, squinting, looking me up and down. And he says, I can't tell for sure. I'm going to have to read your mind. Here, take my hand. He holds out his right hand with the crystal resting in the palm. I take his hand and he puts his left hand over mine and squeezes it tight and shakes it and goes into a small spasm. Then he lets go and sort of sits back like he's exhausted. He asks me if I felt anything and I say, well, maybe a little, and he says, I sent you a message. I put it in your mind. I told you what is wrong with me. I'm not supposed to figure out what's wrong with these people. I'm just supposed to ask the questions and score the answers from one to seven. This is partly because I'm not a doctor and might get something going that I wouldn't know how to contain, but it's mainly because my supervisors want clean data. They want all the people asking the questions to be doing it in the same way. I'm not supposed to get emotional. I'm not supposed to let the patient get emotional. The therapy part of the county mental health system is in another department. I wouldn't even know what number to call, and I've been told more than once not to worry about it. I should never have let him take the crystal out of his pouch. I drove around all day trying to find a Navajo man. He lives very close to the Four Corners, the cross where Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona meet. It's all dirt roads, a house every five miles or so, no addresses, no phones. I stop at every house and knock on the door, but either nobody's home or nobody will answer. I flag down every car that passes and ask directions, and the people offer complicated directions that I follow as best as possible, sometimes driving for 20 or 30 miles, but it's always the wrong place, or nobody's home, or there just isn't a house there at all. Driving around, I think about how I have some of the same problems as the people I interview. I'm angry, depressed, prone to paranoid delusions, and I worry a lot. Up to now, I thought these were common problems, and that I was more or less able to control them. But now, I don't know. I feel like I'm just faking it. 
eventually, late in the afternoon, I find the man, or at least I think he's the man. I'm a third of the way through the test before I realize he's not the right guy. When was your last visit to a mental health clinic? I don't go to the clinic. When did you last see a doctor? I don't have a doctor. Do you blame yourself for anything you've done or not done? No. Have you felt more self-confident than usual? No. Have you heard voices or other things that weren't there or that other people couldn't hear or seen things that weren't there? And he says, I think you want to talk to my son. And I ask him what his son's name is and he says, same as mine. I come back the next morning and interview the son in the kitchen. They make coffee for me on a propane camp stove as the house has no electricity. The son is 19 years old, a good-looking kid, tall, healthy, says he used to run cross-country in high school. He seems to be fine, but as I go through the questions, he starts to fix his eyes on mine, a direct, almost hypnotic stare, straight into my head, like he's trying to pull me in and trap me. I try to look back, to look just as deeply into his mind, but it's like looking into a cave. He says he hears voices, satanic voices, and that he worries a lot about his shoes, that they're not the right kind, not the kind he sees on MTV. I can't tell if he's sick or if he's just trying to torture me, and I drive away thinking I don't know anything about this disease that I know even less than when I started. I spent two days driving around and I made 30 bucks, and I feel really, really tired. The house is dark as all the windows have heavy curtains pulled nearly shut. The curtains over the big picture window in the living room are open just a bit and the light cuts through like a laser beam and hits the red shag carpet, throwing up small dust particles and cigarette ash. Two feet away from the light, near the television, is a slice of pizza lying upside down in the carpet. I'm interviewing the woman, a mother, and her teenage daughter is on the phone talking to her boyfriend, or rather a series of boyfriends, who call and call, and all of them want her to go out right now, but her mother won't let her. She's trying to answer my questions, trying to concentrate and be polite, but she's mainly listening to what her daughter is saying on the phone, and will suddenly switch from saying, no, no, I've been feeling fine, I haven't had a relapse in months, to screaming out, is that John? I told you never to talk to him again. Or, who is it? Is it a boy? You can't go out. Tell him he has to come over here. I can't stop looking at the slice of pizza on the carpet. I keep looking at the slice of pizza because it's the only clue that the woman is sick. I mean, she has a teenage daughter and a dirty house, and maybe she shouldn't try to wear her makeup to bed, but these are not necessarily symptoms of schizophrenia. She seems to be fine, just worn out, until I get to the question, have you been worrying a lot? And she says, yes, she has. She's been worrying a lot that the elders of the church, the Mormon church, will take her daughter away from her. And I ask her why, and she says, because she stopped taking her medication. And I ask her, why did you stop taking your medication? And she says that the only reason she takes it is because she told her bishop that she was visited by the Archangel Gabriel, 
and that she'd had sex with him. And then she was also visited by the Archangel Michael and that she'd had sex with both of them at once and that they'd ravished her almost every night. So her bishop made her go to a doctor and the doctor gave her some pills and she took the pills and the angels stopped coming. The bishop and the elders had told her that if she had sex with any more angels, they'd take her daughter away. So I asked her again why she stopped taking her medication and she says, I'm lonely. I miss them. I want them to come back. Today in a restaurant, eating lunch between interviews, I decided to take the test. I answered the questions and scored myself appropriately, and at some point I realized I wasn't doing so well. I decided not to even add up the points, because then I'd be left with a score and I'd never forget it. If I were to write a report on myself, it would sound something like this. The patient is 36 years old and lives alone since his wife left him three weeks ago. She took the kids and all the silverware except for a large knife and a bowl and a coffee cup. The patient admits that her leaving may have had something to do with the fact that, without warning, he completely gutted the house, tore out all the walls and ceilings, all the lath and plaster right down to the studs. He says he did this in order to live like a primitive. When asked if he was successful, he says it was the first step in the right direction. The patient is a 36-year-old male who lives alone since his wife and children left him two months ago. He says there's a darkness that separates him from other people, a heavy darkness, like looking at a person from the bottom of a well. He believes that if he could say the right words, then the darkness would go away. He says he sometimes knows the right words, but cannot say them. Other times, he can't even think of the words to say. The patient is 36 years old and lives alone since his wife and children left him three months ago. Last week he went fishing in the San Juans and now believes that there's no better fisherman than himself. He says, I can't tell you about it because talking about fishing is silly, like farting and tap dancing at the same time. All I can say is I walk around in the water and I know the instant the fish will jump for the fly. I cut open their stomachs and squeeze out the bugs in my hand study what they eat, how it all gets digested, even the exoskeleton and wings. He says he was sick before, but now he's okay, and that it was the fly rod, just holding the rod in his hand, that cured him. His house is clean, the electricity is on, the walls have been sheetrocked and painted white. He says, I'll have to ask her, beg her, and maybe she'll come back. That story, The Test, originally aired on This American Life in 1996 and was edited by Elise Spiegel and Ira Glass, mixed by Elise Spiegel, and that's why it's so good. It's perhaps my most popular story, maybe because most people have, at some point in their life, felt like they were crazy. 
I'll tell you what's crazy. America is crazy. The whole country, from the very beginning. We took the land from people who'd lived here for 13,000 years, saying God wanted us to have it. That's crazy. Even if you believe in God, it's insane to say he wants us to kill people and take their land and resources. Or that he wants some people to be slaves and other people to be masters. That's delusional, sociopathic. Or what is it when one-tenth of one percent of the people in the country are as wealthy as 90% of the rest of us? This is in a democracy, meaning we want it this way. We vote to make sure it happens, like we're in a trance or hallucinating. And why do we keep fighting terrorism with military force when military force only makes more terrorists? And yet we can't think of any way other than more war. We are mentally impaired and shouldn't be allowed to make such decisions. And what of Donald Trump, his rise to power, his metamorphosis from playing the most powerful man in the world on reality TV to actually becoming the most powerful man in the world in reality? I think his transformation came up out of us, that Donald Trump is a manifestation of our anger and fear. And the more we are angry and afraid, the stronger he becomes. I don't have any solutions. This ain't no TED Talk. I just think we should all calm down, stay on our medication, and try not to get violent. We are sick, mentally ill, a threat to ourselves and others, the entire world, and we just need to take it easy for a while. Chill out, for God's sakes. 